has something good for me today. Man. He has something good for our live stream audience as well. We want to honor all of you watching by live stream. We encourage everyone here and by live stream to share the stream. So we're in the Gospel of Mar. No, we're not in the Gospel of Mark. I was thinking about the Gospel. We're in the Gospel of John. We're in the eighth chapter. And we're going to finish up the eighth chapter today. And so going to give you a little bit of background, going to unpack it for you. And God's going to give you some good things. So Jesus is in the temple. So the whole chapter of Mark, or John, why am I in Mark? Why do I keep saying in Mark? But it, John, the, cha- the eighth chapter, Jesus is in the temple. He's at the Feast of Tabernacles. He's been there for a while. He's teaching in a specific court. And so the Lord comes to his temple and he begins to teach his people. Isn't it beautiful that Jesus takes the time to teach us? Isn't that amazing? That he loves us so much that he takes the time to teach us. He comes to his temple, and the first thing he does is he starts teaching the people. And while he's teaching the people, all the people are gathered around. The whole chapter of Mark is there's a lot of dis- there's confrontation, and there's a lot of discussion, and there's challenges and all kinds of things. They take a woman with adultery, and they throw her right into the midst of Jesus, and then they start all of these different confrontational discussions with him. He's teaching the people. He's influencing the people, and the the gatekeepers of the religious system are having a problem with that. There was a group of Pharisees, they were a religious sect, and they were a group of scribes, and the scribes were the keepers of the law. They were the ones who memorized and knew everything about the law. And so they are approaching Jesus, and they're confronting him and challenging him on issues. And so he's in the temple, and it begins, you know, most discussions, so this is how discussions degrade You're trying to have a reasonable discussion. You're trying to have an intellectual discussion. And then when two people can't see a point of view, some of you are going to go, that sounds like my relationship. And then two people can't can't see each other in a point of view. It starts to get emotional, doesn't it? Right? You're trying to reason in the discussion. Women are going to understand this one really. Well, it started out reasonably. It became emotional. And then it became, you know, it usually, that's how an argument descends from intellectual. Then it'll go down to where emotions start flying, names start being called, you know, names start being called, and then doors start getting slammed. That's kind of how it goes. This is what happens with Jesus. This portion, they start having a discussion with him. They realize they can't, they can't win the argument. Then they start calling him names. And then at the end, they're picking up rocks and they want to they stone him with the rocks. And so Jesus is the light of the dark, in the darkness. He exposes their false trust systems and their false belief systems. So they had a false trust system. They believed that they were saved for various reasons that were not really the right reasons. And they, they, they had beliefs, they, they had trust systems that were not correct. This is what Jesus does. He comes and exposes. Truth exposes. Love brings truth, does it not? If your house is burning and you don't know that your house is burning, don't you want somebody to come and say, hey, your house is burning, right? Wouldn't you, like, you're, you're, nobody wants that to happen at all, you know? Some, you, something's happening, or better yet, you're, the, the, your car's on fire, and somebody pulls up and starts pointing at you, and you're like, stop annoying me, go away, and they're trying to tell you that your car's on fire. Wouldn't it be a nice thing to do if, somebody, if your car's on fire, somebody to actually tell you? Because they're trying to tell you the truth in love. They're not trying to annoy you. They're not even trying to offend you. They're trying to help you. This is what's going on here with Jesus. And so Jesus is talking. He's in this temple court, and there are people that are believing what he's saying. They're putting faith in him, and the Jewish leaders come, and they start challenging him. So the first people that he talks to are those that were, list, that were believing in him. So, so, so verse 31 of chapter 8 says this, So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So he's speaking to believers And he uses this word abide. So what Jesus, this is a word to all believers, by the way. He said, if you will build, if you will construct, and if you will live my way, my word, my life as your way of life, then you're my disciples. If you don't, then say this with me. A disciple is a learner under discipline. This is what Jesus is looking for. Go into all the world and make disciples. He didn't say go into all the world and make fans. He didn't say go into all the world and, and uh, make converts. He didn't say that. He said go into all the world and make disciples. A disciple is a learner under discipline. 
that learns of him. We're not just supposed to know him. We're supposed to learn him. And as we learn him, we're supposed to discipline and reorient our lives towards the things that he teaches. This is what it means to be a Christian. Jesus isn't looking for fans. I don't know if we're aware of this. I like to tell the 21st century church that Jesus isn't looking for fans. He's looking for followers. He's not looking for a crowd to go, yay, Jesus. He doesn't need a fan club everywhere he goes. I'm all in. I love to cheer. I love to get, you know, like fired up and stuff like that. But can we do it from a perspective of truth and not, you know, just we're just happy. Oh, we're just happy. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He says, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Right? You call me Lord, but you don't do anything I say. <laughs> he said, if you will build and construct and live your life through mine and in mine, you will, be, you will be my disciples indeed. It means you align your belief system with mine. This is really a big thing. We have to align our belief system with him. It's one of the biggest aspects of discipleship. It's one of the biggest aspects of transformation. If you want your life to change, anybody here want their life to change? Right? Yeah, right? I want my life to change. God, do anything you want to do, but don't leave me the same. Right? That's my prayer. I want to transform. I want to keep growing. I want to move from glory to glory. I don't want to be the same person I was five years ago. I don't want to be, you know, I want to keep changing and becoming who I'm called and destined to be. And the way that we do that is that we have to align our belief systems. One of the keys of transformation, Romans 12:1, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You have to change the way that you think. You think naturally. You're called to think supernaturally. You think carnally, fleshly, worldly. You're called to think spiritually. You think worldly, like the cosmos out here. You're called to think like the kingdom. Big difference. And every area of our life is to align with that type of thinking. We're to believe and think. So we, we think in, we, the world is a cosmos, right? It's a system of thinking. When the Bible uses the word world, it uses the Greek word cosmos, and it means system or system of thought specifically. So the world that we're in, we're in the world, but we're not of it. Can I get a witness? Right? Jesus said, you're in this world, but you are not of this world. This, you're in a place, you're in a system of thinking, but you are not to be a part of that system of thinking. You're to think, live, and act differently from what you see around you. This is the idea. And so he's like, you're in the world, but you're not of it. This world is a system of thought. The way that we are transformed is we learn to think on earth as it is in heaven. We learn to think as he thinks, to see as he sees. And this requires work. This is work. We're lazy. Let's just be clear. You know, I ask the Lord, like, we're, you know, when I look at the contradictions between what your word says and what our lives produce, I'm like, where's the gap here, Lord? Lack of diligence, you know, lazy. Oh, that's just too hard. That's just too hard. It's easier to go with the flow. Why swim upstream when you can float downstream? Why? Right? This is how we are. And, then we, and you can do that. You can keep floating downstream. You can be one of those people that just, you know, gets in a raft and just kind of floats downstream. But <laughs> I'm hearing a bunch of things. like why, why salmon spawn. How do a salmon spawn? They have to go upstream. They only produce by going upstream. You can look at it like that. You can float downstream, but you have to change your expectations. You're not going to get a whole lot from the Lord floating downstream. You're double-minded in all your ways. So the Bible says, you let that person believe that they don't, they're going to receive nothing from the Lord because you're double-minded. You say this, God says this. God says, this is the way I want you to go. And you go, no, 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 I want to go that way. James says, you're double-minded. That and, and that double-minded woodenness will produce instability. Uh, this is a question. Next time your life's unstable, start asking the Lord, where am I double-minded? Because instability is a result of double-mindedness. Or you ask the question, you know, um, what was I going to say? You're double-minded and you're unstable in your ways. Where am I double-minded? Where's the instability? That person will receive nothing from the Lord. The instability and the double-mindedness, in other words, you can't produce what God wants to give you because you won't get in agreement with what he wants to show you or tell you or live that way. It's a huge issue. Renewing the mind. We're not cultural Christians. Christianity is a lifestyle, people. The kingdom is a lifestyle. It's not something we do, it's what we are. It's not a place we attend, it's a life we live. 
This is how the gospel works. It lives through lifestyle. It manifests through lifestyle. That's, that's the whole idea. And we, the art, if you wanna learn art, the art is in taking this kingdom and navigating this into the business world, navigating this kingdom into the creative worlds, navigating this, this kingdom into relationships and marriages and futures and whatever. That's the art, but that's what we're commanded to do. That's what he expects. He expects it on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom and his will. What is God's kingdom and his will? His dominion and his will directly relates to on earth as it is in heaven. So in other words, if we don't learn what on earth as it is in heaven means, we're not going to get dominion and we're not going to get his will. Just a thought. Another thought, another day. You must build and construct your life upon my word. You're my disciples. Our lives are to reflect him. So there needs to be something about our lives as Christians that reflects the fact that we are believers. You understand? There should be something about us that stands out. Yeah? Next time somebody recognizes things, there's just something about you. There's something about you. It's the favor of the Lord on my life. That's what there's something about me. There's, there, there's, there's got to be something about you that enables you to stand out. Our lives are to reflect something. I shared the story first service of a guy I knew who came to Christ because his sister got saved. And this guy was like rowdy, wild, whatever. He goes to the grocery store with his sister, buys a box of chocolate donuts. And as he's in the line, he gets the donuts before his sister and he's eating the donuts. He's an older guy. He was older. He wasn't like a kid. You know, he was in, you know, whatever, young man. And he's eating, he's eating the donuts standing in the line after he paid for him and his sister's checking out. She's like, stop eating the donuts, Tony. Stop eating the donuts. And he's like, first of all, I bought these. That's what he says to her. Second of all, you are so bossy. And she looks at him and says, you're right, I'm sorry. And he said when she said that, because he knew she'd become a Christian, so he's like, oh, you're a Jesus girl now? You're like a good Jesus girl, is that what you are now? You're a Jesus girl? That was his attitude towards his sister. And when he saw her look at him and say, I'm sorry, you're right, he said, my sister never apologized to me, like ever. And he said, that moment, I went, wait a second, there's something different here. And he saw, he saw something different in her life, and there was something that was reflecting different that wasn't there before. Our lives are to be reflective. Our lives are to shine. We're not to put, we can't take, Jesus said you don't put a candle under a basket. Take the candle out of the basket. You're a kingdom child. Let the world deal with that. That's their problem. That's not yours. I'm a son of the highest. That's your problem. That, that offends you? That's your problem. That's not mine. This is what I am. This is who I am. Jesus hung openly for me. I'm gonna, I was, I, and I can't stand openly for him? Come on. Some of y'all need to, need to hear that. You need to take the lamp off. You need to let your, life, let your light so shine before men, before people. Be what you are. It doesn't mean you're perfect. Yeah, but you're a hypocrite. You're, and you say, yep, yeah, my, my church is full of hypocrites, and there's room for one more, so why don't you come with me on Sunday, and we'll go as hypocrites together. And we'll let our, our, let our hypocritical pastor teach us truth. <laughs> we're all hypocrites. We all got contradictions. We're working towards the kingdom, away from and unto. We're working towards it. Paul said, I'm dragging around with me a dead body. That's what he said. How do I get this dead body of my old life off of me? He said, to Jesus, is what he says. I thank God through Jesus Christ. So our lives are to reflect him. He said, if you abide in my word, if you live, build, make your mind, integrate my word, my life, Jesus is the word, so every part of him is his word. All that, is, that he says, all that is about him, all of he is as far as his presence and his nature. He said, if you will integrate, you are my disciples. And he says, you'll know the truth. This word know is an interesting one. So I believe that Jesus chose Greek to write the New Testament in because it has a, really, it has a lot of cool sounding words. You know what I'm saying? There's really cool sounding words in Greek. So not to get into all of that, but for just the variety of words is another thing. There's four words for love, right? And you look at your husband and you say, do you love me? And he's like, yeah, and I love chocolate chip cookies too, right? How many knows that's not the same, right? It's not the same. <laughs> Matt, there you go. And she's not even here. Oh, she is here. There she is. Good job. Way to, way, to, way to take the shot, man. Way to say, there you go. Got to score those points when you can, right? So, you know, the, the, there's a different word. There's, there's the, that's the word storge. 
Storage is like, I love, I love chocolate chip cookies. I love you, I love my friends. Friends is phileo, phileo love, right? Like sexual love is eros, yeah? That's eros, that's where we get the word erotic, it's eros. You, you can have eros and not have agapeo, which is, the, which is the bonded love. And the bonded love, the love of God, the agapeo comes only from the Lord. This is what changes in you when you become a believer. You're able to love people at a level you were never able to love them anymore. Is anybody with me? Yeah? You know, you're no longer, Zach, come on. There's, it's in the spirit. It's in the spirit. So you're able in the spirit to love people because that love, the love of God is shed abroad in our heart. That agapeo, the love that comes only from God, comes unto us. And we can love ourselves and we can love other people unconditionally as long as we're in the spirit. Right? In the spirit, I love everybody. Out of the spirit, I want to run some people over with my car. I'm just saying. You know, just saying. Pray for the pastor. Right? So, but it, we're given that agapeo love by God through the Holy Spirit. So that love is transcended and shed, apart, shed abroad in our hearts. Before Christ, we have phileo love. We have friendship love. But we don't have that, that, that agapeo, that ability to love, the person, to love the person beyond their actions. That's really what agapeo is, is an ability. That's how Jesus loves you. He sees the person and not the lifestyle, the actions, or anything that's surrounding you. He sees the person, and he chooses. And that's, again, agape. Agape is, an, is a set love. It's a determined love. It's a choice. And so Jesus says, you'll know the truth. This word, uh, for just for instance here again, this word know, there's three words for know. So when Jesus says, if you will abide, live, and build your life in and around my word, you'll know. He uses a Greek word, genisko. Say it with me, genisko. Right. There you go. You're speaking Greek this morning. It mean, what that word means is I get it. I understand. One plus one equals two. I get it. I understand. That's what it means. Then there's another word that goes beyond that. So Jesus says, listen, if you'll build your life in and of me, you'll begin to get this. Build your life on me, begin to follow me, and you'll start to get it. You'll be like, oh, okay, I get it. Then the next one is epignosis, my favorite word. It means experiential knowledge. It's not I get it. It means you just experienced the knowledge. How many knows that's powerful, right? One plus one equals two. I get it. Does that mean 1,000 plus 1,000 equals two? Then somebody gives me 1,000 plus 1,000 and I get $2,000. I'm like, I get it now. And I've experienced the fact that one plus one equals two. Are you with me? You experience it. You can look at it this way. I get it. I understand. God loves me. I get it. I understand that. The Father loves me. I got it. But then you experience the love of the Father and it's transcendent. Now you know you're loved. Now you know God is for you and not against you. You get what I'm saying? It's experiential knowledge. It's like spiritual gifts is another one that's experiential knowledge. There's no, you know, we can't speak in tongues anymore. You're too late. I speak in tongues. Jesus doesn't heal. Too late. I've been healed and I do, and healing manifests. I'm sorry about that. You should have talked to me a few decades ago and maybe you would have convinced me, but you can't change me now because I've experienced the knowledge. Jesus isn't the one and only. Those of you that are here, if you've experienced Christ in your heart, you know he's the one and only. How do you know that? Because he lives in me. I ex I've experienced him. I know who he is. And then there's the last one, which is idu. Idu means completely convinced. No one's talking you out of it. So you go from, I get it, to experiencing it, to see that this is true, to you're just completely convinced. There's no way anybody's going to talk you out of it. You can look at it with the promises. All of the promises in Christ are yes and amen. Right? And if the promises come with condition, so you start to activate the condition of the promise, I get it. If I do this, then this will happen. So you have inheritances, you have promise, you have purpose and destiny. Jesus has got quite a plan for you, right? If you want God's promises, every promise comes with a condition. Every single one. His promise of salvation comes with a condition. Say salvation is unconditional. No, it's not. You must believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. If you don't believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you have not met the condition that activates that promise. It's the truth. But God promises to save anyone who will come to him and believe in their heart and confess with their mouth. 
But that promise does not come to them until they activate the condition of the promise. So you can take a promise from God, call upon me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things. You know you need to pray. You need to call on the Lord. God's going to talk to you. I get it. I get it. I know. And then you actually call upon the Lord and he answers you. And you're like, wow. Wow. Now you've just experienced that. Some of you were here in the prophetic class or the I, I can hear God class. Yeah. You all turn into prophesying machines. You're here for a couple hours and boom, you're prophesying. We got to like turn the lights out just to get you out the door because you're just like, this is great. I can hear Jesus. <laughs> You've experienced that now. Now no one's going to tell you you can't hear Jesus anymore. Was there anybody here? Did you hear the Lord? No? No one was at that class? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So you get to know. So it's no. It's, it's gnosis. It's epignosis. And it's edu. I get it. I understand. You experience it. And then you're utterly convinced. You're utterly I am utterly and holistically convinced that God loves me. I've experienced the love of the Father. I don't define myself. My circumstances don't define me. He defines me. And I go from I know this to I've experienced this to now I'm utterly convinced of this. That's the progression. And he said, you'll know what? You'll know truth. There's another beautiful word. I'm waiting to meet. Um, um, some, some of you all need to, if you have a daughter, you need to name her this, Aletheia. It means truth. But it doesn't mean truth. It means the world of truth or the realm of truth. So I was sharing with first service that I've studied the Bible for like a very long time. And now, like, I'm, you know, when I try to do books and things like that, I try to drill down and I try to go where no one has gone before. I try to go where I've never gone before. I try to look deeper into things that I never looked at before. So I start looking at different things. And a couple of things that stood out to me when I was just as, as we progressed through the book of John is that he calls the world cosmos. So he says the world is cosmos, but he never calls his world a cosmos. He never calls his world a system of thinking. He calls it an oranos. What is an oranos? It means realm in the singular, and it means realms in the plural. So he, he's from a realm. Well, this word aletheia also means the realm of truth. He says you will get it, you will experience, and you will be utter convi utterly convinced by the realm of truth. You'll come into a realm. The Greeks had two different things. They had the realm of illusion and they had the realm of truth. Whatever is not truth is a lie, they would say. Or whatever is not truth is an illusion. And they would talk about living in the world of illusion and living in the world of truth. Jesus wants us in the world of truth and not in the world of illusion. Are you with me? So this is the whole idea. God wants you to have access to the things that he has for you. Very simple thing with Aronos. He says, in my father's house, there are many mansions. I go there now to prepare a place for you. Seems really simple, right? So we get the image that we're all going to go to the Grand Budapest Hotel when we get in heaven. We all got a little room at the Grand Budapest. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's what it seems like. In my father's house, he must have a big house. He has many mansions. That means I get a suite at the heavenly lodge. That's what I get. That's not what he's saying. Doesn't say that at all. In my father's Aranos, there are many Aranos. In my father's realm, there are many realms. Come on. I knew somebody, there was gonna be, I knew it was gonna be one person in a room that gets what I'm trying to say. It's realms, people. And so we, we come back to this idea that our faith is communal and our faith is experiential. If our faith is not communal, then we, it, it, there's no power. If our faith is not experiential, then there's no power. This faith is about communion. And experience. And Jesus uses that language extensively. Extensively. In my father's house are many, in my father's realm, there are many realms. I go there now to provide access for you. That's how the Greek reads. I'm going there now to provide access for you, which leads to an even bigger discussion that says, on earth as it is in heaven, do we have access to those realms now? Hmm, I wonder. Do we have access to the realms of the eternal? to the realms of wisdom, to the realms of provision, to the realms of insight, to the realms of experience that have not been accessed, I give you keys to the kingdom. Plural, not one key. Plural. If, there, see, if there's multiple keys, there must be multiple doors. Does that make sense? I give to you the keys of the kingdom. To you it has been given to understand the mysteries of the kingdom. Another story, another day, another time. 
How do we access these things? How do we experience these things? How do we go from I got it to understanding and experience? It's simple, simple answer is the Holy Spirit. John 16 says that, however, when the spirit of truth comes, he will lead you into truth. So God wants us in Aletheia, the realm of truth. He doesn't want you living in the, fa in the Facebook, Instagram world. Nothing wrong with that, but it's all show and no go. It's all illusion. I was telling my wife on the way to church, I watch this guy because, you know, we're listening to music on the way to church worship, and it interrupts by ads. The guy's like, well, yesterday I heard this guy, he's like, I'm going to show you a technique that has made me $83 million in the last 16 months. I'm like, bro, if you made $83 million in the last 16 months, you would not be putting up Instagram or, you know, YouTube ads trying to sell me a course that tells you me how to make $83 million. If you made $83 million in the, in the last 18 months, you, that would be the last thing you'd be doing is shooting videos. You know what I'm saying? It's all illusion is what I'm trying to say. It's just an illusion. It's an illusion. It's not truth. It's not real. And God wants us in what is true, not what's not an illusion, not deception. He wants us in true. And as a believer, it's, isn't it interesting? And you can even see this true. As a Christian, you see things that you never saw before. You ever notice that? You ever notice that you can see things and all the people around you can't see them? You're like, why don't you get this? You can't see this? You can't see where this is going? You can't see this? It's crazy. We have access to truth. The Holy Spirit will lead us into truth and he will, glorify, he will glorify Jesus. He'll take from what is the Lord's and make it known to us. Power of the Holy Spirit. That's who he is. And he says, you'll know the truth. You'll know the aletheia. You will experience the realm of what is true. And the truth will set you free. The word free is free from tyranny at every level. Come on. You can feel free spiritually, but you're in tyranny in your mind. You can free spiritually, be free spiritually as a believer, but you're in tyranny to your emotions. You're in tyranny to your, to your finances. You're still a slave in certain areas of your life. God's design and desire for the believer is that they not be in tyranny at all. Another story, another day. But God's desire, say with me, it is God's desire that I be free to the uttermost. Stop accepting the tyranny. Oh, I'm depressed. Everybody in my family's been depressed, so I'm depressed too. What? I'm not, why, why do you want to accept that tyranny? Why, why do you, well, I've failed 50 times. I guess I'm just going to fail again. Why would you accept that tyranny? Who told you that? Did Jesus say you're going to fail? Who told you that? Press, say this with me. My job as a son or daughter is to pursue truth until truth becomes the reality. He's even saying that the word aletheia is a realm. Truth can become a reality. It can. We pursue truth until truth becomes a reality. God says, Beloved, I watch above all things that, you're, that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So there's three letters of prosperity. That you prosper. What does that mean? I don't know. Ask for a definition. That you be in health and that your soul prospers. That's God's will. That's his will for you. But you say, that's not my reality. Exactly. You're not prospering. You're not in health. And your soul's not prospering. You're still tripping out emotionally and you can't keep it together. And you're, ah, you know. Cats are out. Bag of cats. That's how some people's emotions are. It's like a bag of cats. Controlled and dominated by emotions. Under tyranny. It's not God's will. It's not his will. Say, but it's my reality. It doesn't matter if it's your reality. You pursue truth until truth becomes a reality. You shift the reality. You pursue truth. That's another story. That's, it, it, we pursue truth through the Holy Spirit. Who leads us into truth? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what is the rooted evidence and what is the rooted cause of this tyranny? What is causing this tyranny? See, Holy Spirit leads you into truth. You may not or most likely will not like the answer, but he's going to tell you. He's going to tell you. It's cause and effect. It's, you're not tyrannized because God doesn't love you. The tyranny isn't in your life because God's against you. The tyranny's not in your life because God is, God's like a wicked master and said you can have it, and then you're like a little dog trying to jump up and get it, and he keeps pulling it out of your way. That's not God. If he said you can have it, you can have it. Well, then why don't I have it? That's the question, isn't it? Isn't that the question? That's the pursuit. That's the understanding. That's where we have to grow and we have to mature. 
or not, you know, or not. <laughs> but it is his will that you be free from tyranny. It is his will. You say, if it's his will, why does it not happen? Because it's a partnership. He will not do it without you, and you cannot do it without him. It's always a partnership. I just need God to do it for me. You're a son and a daughter. You're clothed in power, and you're endowed with truth. Rise up. Take your land. Israel had to take their land. This is, the, this is the mirror. The mirror is the old into the new. Israel had to take the land. They had to face giants. They had to cross rivers. And they had to deal with circumstances, situations, and complexities that were far greater than they were. And God never excused them. He didn't ever did that. He, they had to present themselves. He said, I'll fight for you, but you got to go out there. Right? The battle's the Lord's. Yep, the battle's the Lord's, but you got to present yourself for battle. We want the battle, of, we say the battle's the Lord's, and we want to take a nap on the couch and watch Netflix. That's not the way it works. And then there are other times where they had to do specific things in order to have the victory. Their victory was predicated upon their communion. They had to commune with the Lord and get instructions. And as they got instructions, they had victory. Every time they set off to do it on their own, it was a disaster, like a literal disaster. Somebody was asking me yesterday, I do a group call. I was, it's over now, but I was doing a group call with a group of people for a few months. And I was doing a group, and they said, how do you hear God clearly? What's the key to that? And this person was using the analogy of David. How was David able to hear God so clearly when it came to the Philistines? You guys want the answer? Yeah? All right. Come back next week. I'll give you the answer. <laughs> There's a lot to it, but I'll try to summarize it. You know, and, and what I tell them is, it's like it comes down to this. It's like, why was David able to hear so clearly? Because it was God's willful intent to, to rid the nation of the Philistines. And so David was getting instructions because he was directly aligned with God's willful intent. That's why, the, that's why it was clear. The reason we don't get clarity is we're trying to get God to align with our willful intent. This is what I want. Come over here and instruct me. That's how we work. <laughs> and we wonder why we get crickets. It was God's will that his nation be delivered. It was God's will that they be free from tyranny. It was God's will that the yoke of the oppressor be broken. It was God's will. And it was the alignment of that. And it was a communal aspect of it. I was talking to him about how the different prophets line up in the scripture too. And like you have these different prophets and you hear a different tone with David. You hear a different tone with Samuel. You hear a different tone with um, even Abraham you see a different relationship with them rather than what you see with the prophets. The prophets, when they write, it seems very direct and stoic and like boom, because they're operating out of an office and out of a mantle. Samuel was operating out of communion. And so when he gave word, it was totally different. David was operating out of communion. He wrote the Psalms. The Psalms are probably one of the most prophetic books in all of the Bible. The Psalms just aren't poems. They are filled with prophetic decrees and accounts. Filled. How was he able to do that? Well, you have Elijah, who's operating out of office and mantle, right? And he's able to achieve things, but you don't, you don't really just, you don't feel the connection at all. You feel the commands, right? But you don't feel the connection. And you got Abraham, or you got, well, I used, um, uh, I used David and I used Sam, Samuel. I said they had a communal relationship with God. And you didn't see that communal relationship again until probably John the Baptist. And even him, he kind of bridged between that. He didn't really fully embrace it. It's a communal relationship. That's how you hear the Lord. If you don't give him time, he doesn't have time for you. He always has time for you when you have time for him. Oh, that is so rude. Really? Does that bother you? Jesus says, wisdom is poured out in the concourses of the streets. Wisdom cries aloud in the concourses of the streets, calls out to you, how long, simple ones, will you remain simple? How long? How long will you play at the gaming station? How long will you watch Netflix and neglect your relationship with me? How long, simple ones? Wisdom calls aloud in the concourse of the street. But if you're not listening, he's not speaking. It's a relationship, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus isn't the butler and he's not the bellhop. Ding, ding, I need an answer now. Ding, ding, I need an answer now. Ding, ding, I need an answer now. It's a communal relationship. This is how this stuff works. 
And from the communion and the depth of relationship, everything becomes clarified. Just a thought. Just a thought. Other things, stop getting God on your agenda. This is completely not on my notes at all, and I didn't share any of this in first service, but I don't know. This is the way it's going. So I'm about to, this is the way it is. It's the way it is. I'm going to do my best here. I'm going to do my best. The other way you do is you say, say this with me. Grace is in the eye of the Lord. It's a key principle. I told the guy who asked me this question, you're asking me the apex question of all of discipleship. You are asking me the apex, the, the highest question you could ask me is the question you just asked me. How do you hear the Lord? And how do you hear the Lord clearly? And there's a lot to it. But I knew the guy that was asking me and his heart and his desire is to follow the Lord. And so it was different, right? Some people it's like, are you, do you wanna hear him so that you can obey him? Or do you wanna hear him so that you can make up your mind? and see if you got a better idea. Because that's what people want. They want to hear the Lord and say, well, I don't really like what he's telling me. I'm going to do it my way. That's how people are. <laughs> you know, it's crazy, but yet they do it. You have truth himself. You have the prophet. You have the kingdom of God and the Lord, your father himself, telling you this is the path. And you go, nah, I don't think so. I don't like that. And then you go your other way. And there's a whole other line of thinking behind that. But let me just give you the, the, the right terms. You hear the Lord when you understand where his eye is looking Grace is in the eye of the Lord. What's grace? Say it with me. Spiritual power moving in love. What is he looking at? That is the question. That is the most important question you could ask. And what we do, Lord, look at this. Lord, look at this. And it's okay to get him to look at a few things every now and then. That's okay. It's part of the relationship. But if all you do is go, look at what I, this is what I want. This is it. I want you to look over here. And you never ask your father, what are you looking at? What matters to you, Lord? What matters to you? What matters to you? What are you looking at? Ready? What are you looking at in my life? I mean, let's scale it. We'll go out to, what are you, what, Lord, what are you seeing in the nations? What are you seeing in the nation? What are you seeing in the state? What are you seeing in the community? What are you looking at in my family? What do you want to look at with me? David, again, search me and know me, right? Ah, uh, same thing, communal relationship. Grace is in the eye of the Lord. What is he looking at? What are you looking at, Lord? That's where, that, that's where it begins. And when you find grace in the eye of the Lord and you understand what he's looking at, then you're going to get clear instructions because he's looking at that. Just like David, what are you looking at? I'm looking at? I'm looking at the Philistines that are oppressing my people, and I've about had it. I'll deliver them. Oh, you want to go? You want to partner with me? Let's go. And David got clear direction, like a clock. Moses, the same thing. Moses was the other communer. So you have Moses, you have David, and you have Samuel. All of them were communers. You cannot, and they had the clearest prophetic words out of all of them. Moses was such a communer, the Lord said, I speak to him face to face. Abraham said he's my friend. He's my friend, right? Nuts. You got to find out what he's looking at. What are you looking at, Lord? What are you looking at? <laughs> That's the question. Lord, where can I find grace in my home? Where can I find grace in my marriage? Where's the dysfunction? Look at my marriage, Lord. Look at my relationship. Show me. Look at it. What do you want to do? I want to heal your home. Great. Just watch how, when you hear what he's trying to say to you, and you hear what he's looking at, you'd be amazed how clear the instructions are. You'd be amazed. Problem you don't hear instructions, you're trying to get Jesus on your agenda. And then this flies right in the face of the modern American church. Modern American church, Jesus is on your agenda. He wants to give you your best life now. Jesus is all about your dreams and your visions. No, he's not. No, he's not. If your dreams and visions are in conflict or contradiction to his dreams and visions, he's not on your dreams and visions. He's on his dream and vision. And guess what? He's got a bigger dream and vision for you than you do. So why don't you get on his agenda and start asking him to show you, look at my life, Lord. Look upon me. Look upon where I am. What is your eye upon? What are you looking at? My eyes upon the distance that you have for me, Kevin. My eyes upon the difference of priority that you have. My eyes upon everything that you put before me. And yet you expect this of me, but you put everything else before me. Would that be idolatry, Kevin? I'd say, yes, master, that would be idolatry. What is your word instruction? 
I want to be your yes. Everything else is no. I alone am your yes. And if you can't figure that one out, then we're not having this conversation. Stop asking me. <gasps> he talks like that? Yeah, he talks like that. It's the voice of a father and the voice of a king. Most people can't handle the king's voice. I say it all the time. We all want daddy and papa God's voice. You know, everybody wants daddy God's voice and papa God, but most people can't handle, they can't handle the king when he speaks. He's a lion and he's a king. He's not vacillating. He's powerful and authoritative. And if you want kingdom, you've got to learn to listen to the voice of the king. The king is the one who gives the dominion and he gives direct instruction. Direct instruction. Just a thought. I, I mean, I'm, I hope I'm not speaking. I'm, we're, we're doing a little bit of graduate studies here this morning. We're talking at a little bit of a higher level. I hope I'm not losing you. God's will. This is what brings kingdom, Christian. This is what you want. You want the active power in your God and your life? You want it consistently? Anybody here? Right? <laughs> Come on. Right? Let's be honest, the emperor has no clothes. Most Christians can't see the power of God operating in their life consistently. Let's just be honest, and there's a reason. If you want the kingdom of God active and the power of God operating in your life consistently, it will happen because it's your inheritance, it's your rights, but you have to align with it. You have to align with it. Dominion, inheritance, dominion. Power is the dominion of the dominance over every sphere of your life. I want Jesus running my money. I don't need Wall Street running my money. I want Jesus running my money. I want Jesus running my body. I don't need, I don't need, I don't know, whoever running my body. I don't need McDonald's running my body. You know what I mean? If I listen to the Lord as it relates to my health, what's his eye upon? Huh? What's his eye upon? His eye is upon me. Lord, he's looking at me. What's your eye upon, Lord? I'm looking at that Big Mac you keep eating, bro. And I'm wondering when you're going to stop eating the Big Mac and start taking care of the temple that I gave you. You get where I'm going with this? Yeah? <laughs> I'm doing my best, Jesus. I'm doing my best. And so they answered him. He, so Jesus wants you free from tyranny. He wants you. So another story, another day. Have to do a seminar on how to hear God another day. Deeper things. And they answered them and said, we're Abraham's offspring. We're not slaves to anybody. In other words, the Jews believed that if you were a descendant of Abraham, you got a hall pass. You're going straight to heaven. Doesn't matter what you did. Didn't matter how you did it. They believe we're descendants of Abraham. We get to heaven. Boom. Doesn't matter. The check's already written. They understood the idea of birth and the inheritance of a birthright, but it, the inheritance of the birthright wasn't through Abraham. It was through Abraham's seed. It wasn't through Abraham. And so Jesus is like, you got this birthright thing right, but it's the wrong, wrong idea. Abraham, the prophetic word over Abraham is in Genesis. I'll, I'll just paraphrase, well, why don't I read it? It says this, you are the physical offspring of Abraham, but you're not as spiritual. This is what Jesus says to him. The blessing of Abraham is in Genesis 22. God blesses Abraham, and he says, in blessing, I will bless you. In multiplying, I will multiply you. Your descendants will be as the stars of the heaven and the sands of the seas, and you will possess the gates of their enemies. Now, I've read this verse. I showed this in first service. I read this, stars of the heaven, sands of the seas, like numerous times. But I seem to have missed the part where it says, I can possess the gates of my enemies. I'm like, hold on a second. I can possess the gates of my enemies? Yes. And so the prophetic word to Abraham was that he would have earthly descendants that would be like the sand of the seas. They would be the sons of Esau. They would be the sons of Ishmael. They would multiply upon the, on the earth, and they would be like sand. But he would also have spiritual sons and daughters that would be like the stars in the heavens. The Jews would have known this verse. And, Abraham, and Jesus is alluding to the fact that you're the earthly type. You're not the heavenly type. You're, not, you're the descendants of Abraham. This is true. But you're the sand lot. You're not the, you're not the heavenly lot. That's not what you are. You're outside of the kingdom. Who are the descendants of Abraham? Great question. Galatians 3. Say it with me. If anyone is in Christ, they are Abraham's seed. And they are heirs according to the promise. What promise? In blessing, I'll bless you. Yes, please. In multiplying, I'll multiply you. Yes, please. My, your descendants will inherit, their, will possess the gates of their enemies. Yes, please. You are heirs of that promise. Christ is the seed that makes you Abraham's seed. He is the seed of Abraham through Jacob, right? Isaac, Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, then Jacob, and then the descendants and the tribe of Judah and on down the line. Abraham is the bloodline of the promised seed who is Jesus. 
Now, in Christ, we become a descendant of Abraham. You get the picture? They said, we're not born of sexual immorality. In other words, like you, this is what they're accusing him of. They're literally profaning him to his face. You know, we know where we're born. We weren't born immorally like you. Because Mary was born of a, Jesus was born of a virgin, right? Mary was 16. You get the picture. And so the whole story was Joseph's not his real father. Where's his real daddy? Oh, he says he comes from heaven. Yeah, sure. Right. Uh-huh. We were not born of sexual immorality like you. And Jesus said to them, and they said, God's our father. So they switched from Abraham to God. And he said, if God's your father, you would love me. For I came from him, and I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. So here's the theology. You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're equal, equal. The Son lowered himself, Philippians 2, took on the form of a servant, came under the authority of the Father, and became the one that would take the decrees from the Father. He lowered himself, and God sent him. The Father sent him. Apostolos, he sent that's why you see Jesus in John 17. He's saying, restore to me the glory that I had from the beginning. Why? Because Jesus set his glory aside. He humbled himself. He didn't come in honor. He came in humiliation. The king left his throne, ladies and gentlemen, and he left his throne for you. The king, the most glorious and radiant and beautiful and majestic king you could ever possibly imagine came for you. And he wore the rags of a beggar. He didn't even come, and I tell people he didn't even lower himself to human level. He came beneath human level. He lived at the lowest, he became the lowest possible person on the earth. He became beneath us so that he is the only one that can lift us. He can't lift us from, a, from, a, from above. He lifts us from beneath. He comes beneath us to serve us, to wash our grubby feet, to deal with us, to die our death, right? He does it for you. He does it for you. And he tells them. He says, if you were of God, you would love me. I didn't come of my own accord. I was sent. I didn't come in honor. And he says, do you want to know why you don't hear what I say? He asks them the question. Do you want to know why you don't understand what I'm saying to you? You can't hear, and he tells them, because there is no place in your heart to hear it. You have already hardened your heart and made a predetermination about me and about the things that I'm going to say. Say this. The Bible says, a fool answers the matter before it's heard. So many things, especially as it relates to kingdom power and even spiritual gifts, unfortunately, we have people who want to answer it before it's actually heard. The power of the kingdom is now. The power of the kingdom is for his people. These people are fools. They're answering this man before he's even heard him. They've already set the standard and said they've already rejected him. And he said, you can't understand. The word is concealed to you and not revealed because your heart will not open. God himself cannot open the heart of man. If God had the power to open the heart of man, he would have did it right here. But he didn't. They hardened their heart. They closed their heart to their own accord. He says, I'm of my father. He said, you're of your father. Imagine this. And he said, your father is the devil. <laughs> your father is the devil. Now, let's just, get, let's just put this in real time. Can you imagine somebody with a cell phone recording Jesus, having this confrontation, and blasting this out on YouTube? What would the reaction be? Your father is the devil. <gasps> That's hate speech. Our marshmallow generation would have a fit over this. He goes even further. What he's actually saying is, is there's two distinctions there's only two families in the earth. There's the heavenly family, and there's the family of the devil. And you're in, part of, you're in one or the other. That's a cold reality, but that's truth. He speaks to them truth in love. He said, you're not of my father. That's what he tells them. You're not of my father. You're not. You're not. And he says, you're of your own father, the devil. And he says, you are slaves to sin. And a slave cannot abide within the house, but the son abides forever. In other words, you're not sons and daughters. You have no legal claim upon this kingdom. And because you have no legal claim, you will be cast out. That's what he's telling them. He tells them a little bit further up. Unless you believe that I'm the one, you will not come where I go. You won't make it. Jesus isn't a door. He's the door. Jesus isn't a way. He's the way. He's the way. 
And if you're not in Christ, you are outside of his kingdom. And you are bound by the illusion world of the devil. You're like, I don't worship the devil. You don't have to worship the devil to be of the devil. The sin of the devil is self-worship. That was the sin. The devil self-worship. I will be God. What's Adam's sin? I am God. Or I determine if there is a God. This is how arrogant our hearts are. This is what you'll hear from men. Well, I don't believe that there is a God, as if their belief determines the reality. It doesn't. I don't believe that God exists. And if there is a God, then God's like this. All of that is such arrogance. That is an arrogant heart profaning and creating and breaking the second commandment and declaring God to be someone that making an idol in your own image. That's what it is. It's an arrogant, egotistical heart. We can clap for that in the name of Jesus. You don't have to worship a goat to be born of the devil. You have to worship yourself. That's it. And what do you see in the culture? You're talking about culture wars, me, myself, and I. Everybody's got an opinion. Well, I think this, and I think that, and I think this, and I think that. And like cowards, we will not speak truth. Church leaders need to speak truth. We need to speak truth. I do my best, right? <laughs> we need to speak truth. If, you're of the, you're, you're, if you worship you, you're not of God. You're not. The idol of self. You, Jesus, that's what we were just doing here this morning, is making a territorial claim that you belong to the Lord and the Lord alone. Lord alone doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. Doesn't mean you don't make selfish decisions. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about making mistakes. We're talking about two things, rejecting Jesus and embracing your opinion. That's way different. And that's what these guys are doing. They're rejecting Jesus and they're embracing their own way. I think Oscar Mayer baloney. I think all religions are the same, same sin. What gives you the right to determine whether all religions are equal? Who, who crowned you with that authority? Your opinion is not God. You don't have the authority to determine whether or not those, those things are equal. You don't have the authority. Jesus does. All judgment's been committed to the Son, and he speaks it clearly. And he tells him, you're of the devil. That's a pretty bold statement. He said, you're a slave and you're bound by sin, and you're an outsider, and you claim to be a son within the house, but you're not a son in the house. You look like a son, but you're not, and you will be cast out, and you will come and you will try to wear a garment that is other than the garment that I gave, and I will throw you out. Read the story. Kind, loving Jesus? No, the King Jesus, the one who has authority, the one who gave his life and accepts no substitutions other than himself. You don't get to say it on your own way. It's just the way it is. Bound by the devil. The devil doesn't even care. He doesn't care. He doesn't need to manifest himself to you if you're not in Christ. He doesn't need to do anything to you because you're already lost. What he really tries to do is get you to worship and, to, and down these paths of deception. Worship Oscar Mayer baloney for all he cares. He doesn't care. He does not care what you worship. They're all the same. All the false religions are all the same. Doesn't matter. Anything that is outside of Christ is condemned and damned. Unconvenient truth, but a truth nonetheless. <laughs> we must be born again. This is why it's so great a salvation. It's so great a salvation. People say, I don't believe I'm bound by the devil. I always tell them, you step through the veil of time and you enter, time, you enter the realm of eternity and you're gonna really understand who owns you. You're gonna know who owns you. So will the believer, you get a seal, you get a FedEx stamp right on you, so Holy Spirit, express delivery straight to the kingdom. So Holy Spirit says he's the down payment. Watch this, this is how God talks to us. You receive Christ, you get the Holy Spirit. Anybody knows the Holy Spirit's good? I mean, come on, can I get a witness? Is there anybody here? And the Holy Spirit, you know what he is? He's just the down payment. So the Bible says, wow. He's just, you're on a roll here this morning, you know? But anyway, he's, he's just the down payment, that, which means that there's way more. What's down payment? 3%, 6%, 10%, 20%, max 30% if you're buying real estate commercially? Need a 30% down payment? Let's just say he's a 30% down payment. There's still 70% more. What? God's good.
God's good. We're not born immorally. We know what we are. Jesus said, I speak truth to you. This is what he says. I'm speaking truth to all of you. Which one of you will tell me I'm wrong? That's what he says. Which one of you convicts me of sin? Well, he's saying, I'm speaking truth. Which one's going to convict me of that? Are you going to tell me, where, where am I lying? See, the truth was penetrating their hearts, but they said, no way. They said, no way. I will not. I will not. Their system was a system of work, social acceptance, and the honor for traditions. Am I not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and you have a demon? This is what they say to him. I don't know, some of you, we're all from different cultures, and we all have like really bad names, that, that, like the worst name you could be called in your culture. This was the worst name they could possibly call him. They said, you're a Samaritan, and you have a demon. So they said, Jesus is like, no, well, I don't have a demon, so I'm telling you that right now. This is what he says to him, literally. That's what he says. He's super mellow. The Bible says when he was reviled, he reviled not in return. They're reviling him. They're blaspheming him to his face. They're saying you're, born, you're a born bastard, you're a Samaritan, and you're demonically influenced. That's what they said to him. That's how warped and twisted they were. The truth to them was lies, and lies were truth totally twisted, totally warped. And Jesus said, I do not have a demon, by the way. He said, <laughs> thanks for playing, but that's the wrong answer. Uh, I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory, but the one over me who seeks it. So this is again, this humility thing where Jesus came down. He's like, look, I'm not here on my own mission. I'm here because my father sent me. It is my will to be here, but I lowered myself and I receive all my orders from up high. Yeah? And I'm here for you. And then he says this beautiful thing. This is the end of it right here. He says, truly, truly. Anytime Jesus said truly, truly, he's like, get this, get this. Understand this, understand this. He says, the ones who keep, embrace, or receive, or draw unto themselves and lay hold of what I say will never take, taste death. <laughs> oh, yeah, come on. Got to do the happy dance for that one, Shirley. Hallelujah. What does that mean? Jesus said, oh, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? So clearly, by these two words, this, this word and the other word, death has a sting and death has a taste. And the unbeliever will feel the sting of death and will taste the bitter aftertaste of a lament of all of the opportunities that they've been given to receive Christ but did not. Jesus told, told them, he told them a few verses up. He said, you will look for me, but where you go, you will not find me. He said, you're going to look for me. In the torment of hell, you will look for me. You will cry out like the rich man, asking for water to be placed upon my, on your tongue, but you won't find me. He said, the light is in front of you now. Embrace the light while it's in front of you. The believer doesn't die. If you're in Christ, you're an immortal. Have you thought about that? Put your hand on your heart. I'm immortal. You're immortal. I'll give you even more. You have the Holy Spirit. You are endowed with superpowers in this world. So not only are you an immortal, you're a charged superpower. Somebody's like, I knew it, man. I knew it. I knew it. You have power. You are clothed in power. Clothed in power. You don't know what you're doing. You know how to activate it. And you're immortal. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? I told first service, the idea of being immortal as a believer is living with that world in mind. Because we all will stand before the Lord. My attitude and my heart is I will not come before this Lord empty-handed. I will not come before this king empty-handed. And there will be a lot of believers that will come and present themselves before Jesus, and they will be empty-handed. They will have offered him nothing. Your stock portfolio is not going to impress Jesus. Yeah? How genius you were and the whatever it is you've accumulated and acquired, unless you use that as a leverage point for the kingdom, it is meaningless, and it will burn like dust in the wind. It will burn. Our works will be tried as believers. That which we did for the Lord will be tried as gold and silver, Corinthians says. What you did and remains is tribute and treasure, eternal, last, eternal and everlasting reward. What you did for you will burn like hay, wood, and stubble. What does this mean? It means every aspect of our life has to have a Jesus component to it, people. It has to have a goal related to the empowerment of the kingdom. That's how we're rewarded. 
You're rewarded for the simplest things, giving a cup of cold water, bringing a child. Nicole's teaching the children this morning. Reward, ding, ding. You're like, I can get rewarded for teaching the children? Yes, you can. You don't need a plaque from Elevate Miami Church. You get a plaque from Jesus himself. Cup of cold water, I had a guy who hands me water all every, every single Sunday. He's the one that wants to hand me water every single Sunday. Every single Sunday, make sure he hands me water, hands me water, hands me water, hands me water. You're going to see him. Elliot's going to have like, I don't know what he's going to get. Kept giving that prophet out water. Here's your reward. You bring somebody to Christ, you're rewarded. You have a yearning expectation for his returning. You're rewarded. You're rewarded. He rewards you for anything and everything. Nobody does business with God and breaks even. The problem is, is we do nothing. The, the problem isn't whether or not Jesus is generous. That's, that's not in question here. The problem isn't that Jesus isn't kind and giving and loving and wants to just endow us with everything. All of that is true. The real problem is that when the majority do zero. Zero. Do zero. That's really the issue. And they said the, the tears that will be cried by the believer, I don't know if this is true or not, because you will wipe every tear from their eye, and they say, well, what tears are, are Christians crying? And it's the tears of regret, knowing that you could have given him more and you didn't. I'm on a mandate and a mission, and I, find, I take it as twofold. This church will present tribute to the Lord. Just because there's a lot of noise doesn't mean that church has tribute. Vanity doesn't count, Christian. Doesn't count. Jesus isn't impressed with Vanity. He's not impressed with a million, a million, you know, like, I had a million followers on Facebook, Lord, or on Instagram. And Jesus is like, yep, and you used all of that influence for yourself. You never one time used it for me. I tell people, scroll people's Instagram pages. Scroll the church's Instagram pages. If they're not talking about Jesus, there's a problem. If it's all about me and my glam and my look and my this and my that and your best life now and Jesus isn't the epicenter of that page, they're off target. That is empty and vain. I don't like that. It's truth. It's truth. Every influence that we are given in the kingdom is to be used to leverage people to Christ. Whatever that influence is, we're to use it for Jesus. Every time, it's Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus, 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 right? J heart me on the bottom of your business card, right? What does this mean, J heart you? Is that your husband? No, that's Jesus loves me, and Jesus loves you. Did you know that Jesus loves you? Right? Forever 21, put John 3.16 on their bags. Y'all remember that? Why? Because they get it. We've got influence. We need to leverage it for Jesus. Somehow, some way. Do something. Don't do nothing. Don't come before the king empty-handed. Abraham's going to be standing there going, what? Seriously, man? You had social media tools and the internet? You had worldwide broadcast capabilities? You guys had no oppression at all? You come from America where there's no oppression and the gospel is freely preached and you don't fear for your lives and you all still did nothing? <laughs> Bible says we will sit at the table of greatness. We will go to the hall of warriors, right? Like the Vikings, they will go to Avalon. That was what they would look for. And they would, want, they would not want to walk into that hall in shame. We need to have the same mentality. And we'll not walk into that hall in shame. And we're not. I will not come empty-handed. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm going to bring, but I'm bringing something. I'm bringing something. And you should have the same. That's my challenge to you if you're a Christian. Days are precious. Say it with me. Days are precious. Time is precious. Spend it wisely. I will use my influence as a fulcrum. Do you know what a fulcrum is? It's what is used to lift something else. Your influence is a fulcrum. You need to use your influence to lift Jesus. That's what you need. You need to use your money to lift Jesus. You're not taking it with you. Sorry, it's not going. Hearst isn't being followed by a U-Haul van. Never happened in the history of time. I'm going to leave it to my kids, and they're going to blow it. Oons, 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 oons. They're going to blow it all. <laughs> Serve the kingdom, honor the Lord, propagate the gospel.
His rewards are eternal. If you don't know Jesus, today's your day. I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive the Lord. You say, I don't want to have receive the Lord. I'm not sure if I did. I don't know if I did. I was confirmed. But you're telling me now that just because somebody told me I'm saved doesn't mean I may necessarily may be saved. You know, so I need to know if I am saved. So here's how you do it. You're going to believe in your heart. You're going to confess with your mouth. I'm going to say a 40-second prayer. Elevate's going to pray with you, and we want to pray with you. We want you to give your heart to Jesus today, not tomorrow, not next week. The Bible says today is the day. Don't think about it. Just do it. Say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior, and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. All that you are, I receive is mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God loves you. We love you. Let me bless